So we're going to look this morning at just a small chunk uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, You can find the text we're going to use uh, in your bulletin, taken from Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. Last Sunday, Coleman Woody, who's our youth intern here, preached his first sermon and did a a great job. Uh, I I liked it so much, I'm going to steal one of his illustrations. Um, I steal from Coleman and Tim Keller. Uh, but but last week he, he told the story of a young girl who was never allowed to go to Disney World by um, her, the family that she was a part of. And it was always blamed on her behavior. And then one day she was adopted into a new family. And it looked like her behavior was once again going to be so bad that she was not going to be allowed to go. But her father finally tells her, no, I'm, I'm going to take you anyway because I'm your father. And she finally saw it, as she put it, I get to go not because of my behavior, but because I'm yours. But because I'm yours. And that's such a beautiful illustration and picture, I think, uh, of the doctrine of adoption. That we are brought into the family of God, not because of our behavior, but because God has made us His through the work of His Son on the cross. And what I want us to do together this morning is to take that idea of adoption, this idea that, that we are now children of God, and think about how that might apply to the way that we pray. Well, what does one have to do with the other? How does knowing that I'm a child of the Father influence the way that I pray? Uh, Paul Miller, in his book, The Praying Life, says to imagine a situation where you walk in and you're going to a prayer therapist to work on your prayer life. And the prayer therapist uh, starts by saying, let's... let's Talk about your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And so you begin to rattle off facts about adoption and and, and the idea that you are now God's child and all these sorts of things. And the prayer therapist looks at you and says, well, that's, that's good. You've done a good idea of describing this doctrine of adoption. Now tell me what it's like to be with your Father, with your Heavenly Father. What's it, what's it like for you to talk to Him? And you say, well... It's kind of hard, honestly. It's kind of hard to be in my father's presence because my mind wanders and I'm I'm not always sure what to say. And I start wondering if my prayers really make any difference. And is is God really there anyway? And then I feel guilty about all this and guilty about my inability and guilty about my doubts. And I just give up and don't pray. And the therapist looks at you and he kind of cuts to the chase and he says... Your relationship with your Heavenly Father is dysfunctional. Like, the, the, here's the underlying problem. I'll just tell you right now. Your relationship, the reason you're struggling with, pray, with prayer is that your relationship with your Heavenly Father is dysfunctional. And so what I want us to do this morning as we look at this text is to think about the, a couple of reasons that our relationship with our Heavenly Father might be dysfunctional and then see how Uh, Think about how understanding God as our Father might transform that. So let's look at this text together. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, uh, we do come to you as our Father, praying that you might help us now. uh, Praying that you might help me to speak clearly. uh, Praying, Father, that you might help us to to give attention to the proclamation of your word and that you might work uh, in our hearts. Uh, Praying, Father, that you would work in all of us uh, so that we might know better exactly what we have when we claim that we have you as our Father. And I pray that knowing that would impact everything, including the way we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, three things about this. I want to look at dysfunctional prayer, um, the transformation of prayer, and and then what that transformed prayer looks like. So, first of all, dysfunctional prayer. Dysfunctional prayer. This past Thursday, I had to speak publicly three different times. Uh, The first time was at 6 o'clock in the morning at a men's Bible study, which is... Which is fine, that's very comfortable, other than the fact that I'm, I'm still kind of half asleep. The, the third time was at our strategic planning meeting that night, which is fine, that's comfortable. It's with, with those, some of you who I know very well, and I'm comfortable in that environment. The time in between, I had to speak at our presbytery, which is a gathering of all the pastors and elders from Presbyterian churches in the upstate of South Carolina. And I had to give a report on the floor, and that felt very uncomfortable. Uh, one is because it's very formal there, and we use Robert's rules of order, and I'm just you know, like that's just not me. Um, but but are you surprised by that? But the the other is I don't know the people in that room as well. Some of them I'm very close to, but some of them I'm just like I, I kind of know that's that guy that's at that church over there, and, and you're up there, and you can kind of sense this, or you kind of expect then I'm going to be evaluated. And somebody's going to ask me something that I don't know the answer to. Or somebody's going to be critical of something I'm, I'm going to say. And when, that, when you're in that situation, it completely changes how you feel about what you're saying. It completely changes how you feel about the conversation you might be having. If you can think about just having that in a personal conversation, how different it is when it's with somebody you know and you love and with somebody that's a complete stranger. Or, or if it's with somebody that you know that no matter what comes out of my mouth, they, they might correct me, but they're not going to reject me. They're going to love me and they're going to accept me. As opposed to going into a conversation where you're fearful that you're going to be judged, that you're fearful that you're going to be rejected. And so you're thinking, oh, I've got to, I've got to sell myself to this person. Or I may even have to, to manipulate them to get them to do what I want them to do. That kind of dynamic can play out in our prayers as well. It can, and it can play out in how we approach God. Uh, in verse 5 here, Jesus tells us not to be like the hypocrites when we pray. He says, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Uh, this is somebody who, who what? He wants to be seen as a man of prayer. He finds his identity in other people seeing how holy and how put together he is religiously. And and they see that and 
he gets credit for that and so he feels good about himself. You know, we might want to impress people with the shoes we wear or where we live or, or, or this, that, and the other. He wants to impress people with the fact that he's a religious person. That's his identity. That's how he wants to impress people. And so he's doing acts of righteousness. He's doing his prayers to be seen by other people. And the problem is not that he's praying. The problem isn't so much that he's praying in public, although we'll we'll come back to that. The problem is his motivation. Why is he praying? He's praying to be seen by others and thought well of by them. If he had Instagram, he would post his different devotional sites all through the day. That's, I'm praying here, I'm praying here, I'm praying here. He wants to be known as a man of prayer. Now, I, I think this guy's kind of easy to write off, honestly, uh, unless you're like in professional ministry and then you, like it's an occupational hazard that you pray for other people to hear. But I, th- I think for many of us, it, it's very easy to write this guy off because you're, you might be thinking, I barely have time to pray in private, much less stand up and pray in public. So this, this really isn't an issue for me. Well, but let me ask you, do you ever find yourself kind of dropping to people uh, how much time you spent in private prayer? Do you want people to know that you've been having your devotions and, and the length of your devotions? Or, to, let me flip this thing completely around. If you're called on to pray in public, how badly does that freak you out? How uncomfortable are you with that? Now, I know there's, you know, we've got, some of us have a natural shyness about sort of thing, uh, that sort of thing. Prayer is very intimate, and Jesus does even caution us about how we pray in public. But, but be suspicious of yourself for a minute. Put all that to the side and ask yourself, is some of my reticence to pray in public because I'm, I'm really inside very fearful of the fact that I think everybody is evaluating my prayer. And they're going to think, oh, they're not that spiritual. Uh, you know, what they always suspected was true. Uh, and, and now they see that I'm not eloquent. I, I don't have this Christianity stuff. I don't know the right words. And so uh, ask yourself, when you are, are asked to pray in public, and when you have that opportunity to pray in public, who's your audience? Who's your audience? Are, are you praying to God or are you praying to the people around you? See, it's not just this guy that has this problem. We have this problem of praying as performance as time as well. Uh, the real problem here, though, he's praying to be seen by men. Why is he praying to be seen by men? Because that's where he's finding his identity. He's concerned with what other people think about him. And, and, and we're like that as well. But why is he so concerned about this? Why is, why is this the thing? What's he trying to do? What's missing in his life? Let's go a little bit deeper. What's driving his prayers? He, he I think, is obsessed with impressing others because he doesn't know the love and acceptance of his father. Uh, a father who welcomes him. A father who loves him. A father who delights that he simply comes into his presence and prays. If you counted uh, verses 1 through 18, the number of times God is referred to as Father in these verses is 10 times. 10 times God is referred to as Father. But this man, it's obvious, does not know God in that way. He doesn't think of God as a Father who loves him 
and accepts him. He's not secure in his relationship with his father. And so his prayers become one more vehicle to impress God and to impress other people. What happens when that's the case? Prayer is a performance. Public prayers become an opportunity to impress or an opportunity to fail to impress. Private prayers become these things that we do because, man, I, I, I got to get God to be pleased with me. And so they become this thing we do out of a have to instead of doing out of a want to. I guess I, guess I better pray. And so it becomes one more thing on our spiritual checklist. And there's no life in that. And eventually you just give up and you quit. And then you've got this vague sense of guilt that you've quit. And so, well, maybe I guess I'll start over again. And you're stuck in this cycle. Well, there's a second person in this text who has a dysfunctional prayer life also. In verse 7, we find a Gentile who babbles, it says, and thinks that he's going to be heard because of his many words. He thinks he can force God's hand simply through the repetition of certain phrases. Think of uh, Hail Mary saying those over and over. Or Buddhist prayer wills. It's something you do repetitively in order to somehow get God's attention. Uh, or you may even say, well, you know what? If, if I just spend enough time in prayer, if I, you know, I've only been praying five minutes. If I can bump that up to 10 minutes, or if I can bump that up to, to 25 minutes, then God's finally going to pay attention to my prayers, and then I'm going to see some things start to happen. Now, you may be thinking, well, wait, doesn't, doesn't God want me to spend time in prayer? Wouldn't 30 minutes in prayer every day be a good thing? Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Great saints have always spent much time in prayer and in the presence of God. Therefore, we tend to think that the way to be a saint is to spend much time in prayer and in the presence of God. But the important point about the great saint is not that he spent much time in prayer. He did not keep his eye on the clock. He knew he was in the presence of God. He entered into eternity, as it were. Prayer was his life. He could not live without it. He was not concerned about remembering the length of time. And so his focus was not on the clock, but his focus was on the God into whose presence he was entering. But why does the Gentile or the pagan here pray in this way? Uh, again, his theology is working itself out in practice. You know, maybe, we don't know, maybe he sees God as this cosmic force he's got to manipulate. Uh, maybe he thinks he's got to come up with the right incantation to force God's hand. Uh, If he just says the right words and the secret door is going to be opened. Uh, Maybe if I say, please God, let my team win 50 times, then he will magically finally let them win. Uh, Maybe this person thinks God really doesn't know what's going on. Like he's not aware and somehow he's got to repeat himself until God hears him. So what's the underlying problem here? Again, the dysfunction is that he doesn't know God as his father. He doesn't know God as his father. And so he's anxious and he doesn't trust him. And he thinks he has to force God's hand to get him to do what needs to be done. This dysfunctional prayer flows out of a heart that doesn't know God as a loving and wise and caring father. So then, how can that be transformed? How can that be changed in our lives, uh, because I know we all 
feel like that? Uh, how, how can our prayers be transformed? It's by growing in this knowledge of God as my Father. By growing in this knowledge that God is my Father. That this is the God that I relate to. Well, how can I know God as Father? Isn't God everybody's Father? Aren't we all God's children? Uh, the Bible's actually very careful in applying that term children of God only to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, because the picture is one of us actually being outside of the family of God and then drawn into the family of God through the work of Jesus on our behalf. Uh, John 1.12 tells us that all who receive Jesus are given the right to become children of God. So the idea of being a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, is just another way of looking at the salvation that we have in Christ. That through faith in Christ, we have now been forgiven and adopted into the family of God, and we are his children. We are children of the King. So what? Right? So how how can this help me with my prayer? Why should this transform my prayer life? I think if you start here, if you look at the Bible, the people who were called children of God, they weren't always that, were they? Because before we were children of God, we were actually children of wrath. That we were under God's wrath and curse. And why are we now children of God with with a right to all the, the blessings that come with that? Is it because of our behavior? Is it because of something we've done so well? No, it's because of what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, We have received that by faith and been drawn into the very family of God. Uh, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. So today when we think about adoption, we normally think about adopting a young child, right? Or, or, Or an infant. In the ancient world, people without children would look to adopt a young adult who they felt was worthy to carry on the family name. And so they were, they were very picky about who they adopted. You know, if we were doing something like that today, I mean, can you imagine the process involved in that? We'd want to see all your grades and your transcripts, and we'd, we'd want to see, have your passwords for your social media for the last 15 years and see all your internet browsing history, and we want a few references, and just to see if, okay, now we... Yeah, okay, you're worthy to carry on the family name. But what Scripture tells us is that, that God takes people who are, who are spiritually bankrupt, who have posted horrible things on their social media feeds, who are petrified of you seeing their internet browsing history, and He takes these people and He makes them His children. Not because they are worthy in any way, but simply because of the great love with which he loves them. And he, he, he loves us and he gives us his family name. He allows us to be called children of God. You're an enemy of God and you're allowed to be called children of God. Uh, the Avid brothers have a song called Murder in the City. Uh, and, and one of the, like the last stands, it goes like this. If I get murdered in the city, go read the letter in my desk. Don't bother with all my belongings. Pay attention to the list. Make sure my sister knows I love her. Make sure my mother knows the same. 
Always remember there was nothing worth sharing like the love that let us share our name. Always remember there was nothing worth sharing like the love that let us share our name. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then then God has loved you and shared his name with you. You're, You're no longer simply a child of Bill or Mary or Tom or Sue. You're a child of God. He shared his name with you. Now what does that have to do with prayer? What doesn't that have to do with prayer? If, if, if you can get that into your soul, that you are a child of God, that you, and that you are made to know Him, and to love Him, and to be loved by Him, and to spend eternity with Him, that will completely transform everything about your prayers. Let me just suggest a few reasons here quickly. If, if I can get this into my heart, it means I don't have to look at prayer as a way to earn God's favor. I don't have to try to impress God with my eloquence in prayer. I can just come to Him as the babbling, stammering sinner that I am and just, just lay it all out there. Why? Because Jesus has already secured my entrance into God's presence. I don't have to do anything else. Uh, the, the story is told in the war between the states, there was a uh, soldier whose general, commanding general had died. And he wanted to go to the visitation, but he was too late to get in. And they were barring everybody from getting in. And he had lost like part of an arm in the war. And so he, he comes to the guy at the gate and he says, you know, by the stub of my right arm, I demand to go in and, and see and do visitation to see my general one last time. And the guy at the gate says, all right, you can... You can come in. It was, it was by his wounds that he was allowed to go in. How are we allowed to go in? It's not by our wounds. It's not because we beat ourselves up. It's by the wounds of Jesus. That Jesus has been wounded for you. So that you have this privilege now as a child of God. That you come into his throne room and you don't have to do anything to impress him. You simply walk in because of what Jesus has done. Uh, secondly, if I'm a child of the king, I don't have to worry as much about impressing other people with my prayers. Uh, I get more freed up to, to pray to God and not to the crowd. I'm, I'm able to do what Jesus says here and to pray in secret. And I don't think Jesus is condemning praying in public because Jesus himself prayed in public. And he's not prohibiting praying in groups because he says to pray our Father, meaning we pray with other people. But if, but if we can know that we already have the Father's smile, even before we start to pray, we can pray with a mindset not of what will people think, not with I've got to bribe God with my good works, but we can just shut the door to all that. Even if there's a thousand people around and pray to our Father, because we know no matter what everybody else may be thinking, We have his smile. Uh, Thirdly, if God is my father, I can begin to view prayer less as a time when I drop my shopping list off with God and more of a time simply to draw near to my father, to come near to him. Uh, You know, sometimes I think we think about prayer like this. It's like we just, we've got this list. It's like our letter to Santa and we're like, 
here God, here's my letter to Santa. I want you to take care of all of this. Amen. But what Jesus is showing us here is, hey look, God already knows all that. It doesn't mean he doesn't want you to tell him about it. But what he's really getting at as you come into his presence is just that, that you come into his presence. And so you're not mailing the list into Santa and hoping he's going to grant your wishes. You're bringing the list into the throne room and sitting in the lap of the king and reading the list to him. And he may answer those prayers, but I think perhaps the biggest benefit we're getting out of that is that we are in his presence. We are in the presence of the king. Uh, Terry Johnson has this quote where he says, uh, I had begun my adult prayer pilgrimage with what I might call a prayer list approach, repeating lists of objectives to God in the hope of good results. On the other end of this pilgrimage, I began to see that prayer is primarily drawing near to God. What am I doing in prayer? I am consciously moving into the presence of of God. Prayer was evolving in my thinking from being primarily about request to being primarily about fellowship. Prayer is a time when I draw near to God to contemplate his greatness, search my soul, confess my sin, and plead for help. Prayer for me is becoming increasingly personal, relational, and indispensable. Moreover, it was also moving from being a discipline to be maintained with difficulty to being a privilege to be guarded jealously. Privileged to be guarded jealously. Prayer is that time when we are allowed to come like a little child and crawl into the lap of our Father be reminded that He loves us. Uh, A fourth thing, uh, knowing that uh, our Father is a loving God who desires to bless us, that should make us eager to pray. Uh, I remember when my kids were a lot younger, I would come home from work in the afternoon and they would all come running out of the house to greet me. You guys know how that is when your kids are younger than, than they're older and they just text you or something. But they come, they come running out of the house to greet you because they were so excited that you were home. And they love to see you. And you love to see them as well. They loved it and I loved it. When you pray, that's what you're doing with your father. And you ought to love it because he loves it. He loves for you to come to him. So be eager to pray. And lastly, knowing this should make us confident. Should make us confident when we pray. We're not praying to just this force who doesn't know or care about our needs. He knows what we need uh, better than we know what we need. We're not praying to somebody without the power to answer our prayers. We're praying to our Father who is in heaven, who is the powerful king of the universe. When we pray, we're not praying to a father who is unwilling to answer our prayers because our father delights in giving good gifts to his children. He gave us his son. And so we can expect that along this, with this, he will give us all things. Our father, Jesus says, will see what is done in secret and will reward us. He'll bless us with his fellowship. He'll bless us with answered prayers. He'll bless us with changing us as we draw near to him. And so we should pray with great expectation of what God will do. Pray with confidence. Uh, One last quote, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I must get rid of this thought that God is standing between me and my desires and that which is best for me. God is much more ready to give than I am to receive. The blessings that are stored at the right hand of God 
for God's children. Come as a child. Come to your Father. Come eagerly. Come confidently. This is, this is how we, we live out and maintain our relationship with our Father. We are not physically with Him. Well, when we get to that everlasting life part that we talked about, we will be physically with Him. But for now, how do we commune with Him? We commune with Him as He speaks to us in the Word and as we respond to Him in prayer. So take advantage of that. Um, Emma is going to college this fall. And when she goes to college, we're just going to quit talking to her. We're just going to cut her off and have no more like, goodbye. Goodbye. This is your goodbye. No, of course we're not going to do that. We're not going to be physically present with her. But we're going to FaceTime her. We're going to, we're going to call her. We're going to text her. We might try to figure out how to write a letter. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do all of these things to maintain communication with her. We want to maintain this fellowship and communication relationship with our Father. We do that in prayer. We do that in prayer, so take advantage of that. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us to see prayer in this way? Um, We confess that it is hard for us, and we do struggle with it. And yet, here's the amazing news that you want us to come anyway, and to come messy, and to come muttering, and, and... to come with our sin and, and to come not knowing what to say and to come distracted. But you want us to come. Because in coming we draw into your presence and we're near to you. And you'd love for us to do that because you love us and want to bless us with your presence. Uh, help us to see that and to believe that. Uh, and to, to, to know even how to begin to practice it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.